Uh, Monty, the room is ready when you are. Great, thank you, Jeff. Um, is it possible to get the, and maybe I just don't know how to do this, to get the board members up on the screen? Uh, um, I mean, I have two screens and I have half of my board on the second screen. Is that something I need to learn how to do or is that something you guys can do as the host? I don't know. I'm hoping Brad, if, um, if he knows some kind of trick there, I don't happen to know myself if that's possible. Okay. Mr. Chair, I can, I can perhaps help. There is a way that you can set your under video settings uh -huh. that you can set it to only show um, uh, those with video. Hide non-video participants. And if you click on that, all of the people who aren't active with their video will not appear on the main screen. Okay, well, we're going to go on. I'm not going to mess with that right now. We'll Mr. Chair, this is Brad Carr, Community Development Analyst. You can also drag and drop. You can click on somebody's uh, face and then drag that their box to wherever you would like that to, to be ordered. All right. Well, oh, like from the second page up to the front page? Yeah, yes. that's not working either. Okay, well, I will figure this out on another day and we will just go on with the meeting so I don't hold everybody up with my ineptness, my Zoom ineptness. So, okay, I'm going to uh, take roll, I guess, or call the meeting to order. Um, Jeff or Diane, do we have the normal uh, reading that you want to read before we start with all the Zoom instructions? Certainly. Uh, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Um, good morning, everyone. I'm going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting makes it easier for everyone to hear. You just have to remember to unmute if you want to speak. In some cases, I may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of the meeting, when you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, it is okay to turn your video off. You will still be able to listen to the meeting when your video is off. You'll just have to remember to turn your video on when you resume participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating will help make sure the active meeting participants can be seen on the screen. In some cases, I may turn someone's video off if they are not actively participating to avoid distractions during the meeting. You can always turn your video back on during the meeting. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. 
for those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speakers. Gallery view tiles all meeting participants. Board members and city staff, you must state your name and your title each time that you speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly and after a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on the board members individually to provide their vote. Chair, when you announce the weather, excuse me, Chair, when you need to announce whether the motion carried and the vote of the count. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located on the bottom right corner of their screen. For those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute your device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those with access without technology options. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular time limit will apply. Thank you. All right, thank you, Jeff. Uh, with that, um, I am going to take roll so we just know who's here, and then we'll get into public comment. So, uh, Edith, just respond with aye or yay or whatever. Edith Guppy? Aye. Cole Brown? Shannon Reed? Shannon Ori? Aye. Or here. <laughs> Christina Gentry? Rebecca Buford? Here. Sarah Waters? Here. Erica Zimmerman? Here. Dana Ortiz? Here. Ron Gacious? Here. Thomas Howe? Present. Paul Newsom? Here. And Monty Sokup? Here. So I believe we have a quorum and we're good there. So let's move on to public comment. Um, so do I have anyone interested in making public comment? I see Gabby Boyle has turned on her video. Gabby, would you like to uh, address the board meeting? Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Gabby Boyle. I am here today representing the Sexual Violence Prevention, <clears throat> excuse me, work group. Um, we are an interdisciplinary collaborative work group that's addressing the issue of housing from the angle of violence prevention. So first I wanna establish that sexual violence is really pervasive in Lawrence and that it is directly linked to housing. Uh, the care center served over 1200 unique clients in the last two years, many of whom experienced violence while they were houseless or who were struggling to maintain stable housing as a direct result of their abuse or assault. Uh, at Family Promise, domestic violence is one of the top three self-disclosed reasons for houselessness. And of course, the willow remains at capacity near constantly providing emergency housing to people experiencing uh, intimate partner violence or domestic violence. So I would like to invite you all to imagine a future uh, where the cycle of violence and housing instability is broken 
and where everyone in Lawrence is guaranteed not only safe housing, but also can live free of a fear of violence. Um, I think there are many steps that we could take towards creating this future. And I think that the board has already started to consider some of these steps. For instance, I know that y'all have been investigating uh, source of income discrimination policy and what that could look like in Lawrence. And I just want to highlight that our neighbors in Kansas City, Missouri have enacted source of income discrimination ordinances despite uh, similar state preemption from Missouri. Um, there are many states that prohibit rent control and counties and cities in those states have still created policies um, that prevent source of income discrimination in spite of that. So I think that we really need to remain uh, progressive and proactive when we pursue that type of policy at a local level. Um, and even if that you know, source of income discrimination policy is not possible, there are still many other measures that could be taken. Um, so for instance, there are currently no tenant screening regulations in Lawrence, which for many properties, the screening process is super restrictive or exclusionary and it's just like not transparent at all. So tenants could be screened out of housing for anything from an insufficient credit score to what the landlord might perceive as a lack of strong character references. Uh, many landlords require proof of income that demonstrates someone make at least 30% uh, of the rent, which is ironic considering that over 50% of tenants are cost burdened, spending at least a third of their monthly income, uh, if not more, on their rent. Um, usually these applications require prospective tenants to finance uh, their own credit and background checks out of pocket, which could quickly add up to hundreds of dollars um, if folks are applying to multiple properties, which oftentimes they are if they're getting uh, rejected consistently. Uh, Minneapolis and Seattle are two communities that have addressed this with policy, with local ordinances. Um, and I think this is, again, another step that we could take that would be complementary towards some of the conversations that you have already been having. Um, I know that there are a lot of organizations and activists working at the emergency sheltering level uh, and the emergency housing level, but I think we really need to look beyond that to longer term uh, preventative solutions for the community that kind of operate at that like systems and policy level. Um, so that's what I'm here to say. Thank you all for listening and for all the work that you do. Thank you, Gabby. And I certainly appreciate the write up that you sent in advance of your comments that was uh really nice and i've made a couple of notes here for us uh you know to continue discussion on a few of the items you brought up so that'll probably occur later in new business but um uh thank you again for your comments uh steve i see ozark i see you popped on or did you want to make a comment yeah is sarah there in person yeah, Sarah Talley, Services Director. Uh, Mr. Chair, we do have people in the room here. Sarah is here for in-person public comment. Okay, uh, I guess let's, uh, I can't see that. So if you would uh, direct those people to the podium, we'll take the people that are in the room. Thanks. Go ahead. Yes, because Steve is calling in remotely, I'll actually uh, read for him and myself. So this is joint comments. Um, I'm Sarah Taliaferro speaking on behalf of both the steering committees for house homelessness and affordable housing. Justice Matters has been investigating cities that have achieved great strides in eliminating homelessness and how to pay for it. I won't go into details of our journey, but I would like to touch on three things. First, the contours of the problem. Second, the opportunity available with recent 
federal COVID relief and stimulus money, and third, the Housing and Homelessness Summit that is coming up on April 28th and 29th that I hope all of you could be a part of. The scope of those experiencing homelessness in our community are getting clearer every day thanks to the work of the Built for Zero team at the county and our own volunteers who interviewed guests at the Days Inn over the winter. Here's the, break, uh, the basic breakdown of what we're learning. There are approximately 260 to 300 chronically homelessness, homeless individuals right now living on the streets in Lawrence. The term chronically homeless means living on the streets for over a year or a total of a year off and on over the course of three years. Every person's story is different, but this population is likely to suffer from severe and persistent mental illness and or drug and alcohol addictions. Approximately 115 of those chronically homeless are bouncing around regularly between jail, the emergency room, and the streets. Their life expectancy is, tends to be 25 years shorter than the rest of us. Lowering the barriers to get them into housing so that they can succeed in treatment as compared to making housing a reward for successful treatment appears to be, or in fact is, the best practice. This housing first approach has assisted cities like Rockford, Illinois and Bergen County, New Jersey to eliminate chronic homelessness for a series of years. On top of those experiencing chronic homelessness, service providers estimate there is an additional 130 to 150 individuals who are just now entering homelessness right now who have not yet met that one-year mark, which would put them in the chronic homeless category. These members of our community include working people sleeping in cars, children trying to make it in school, women fleeing domestic violence, those with temporary job loss, and etc. Again, limiting the time they are homeless or preventing them from homelessness with rapid rehousing before they become chronically unhoused appears to be the best practice for financial and health reasons. Along with the newly and chronic homeless, we have an untold number of people in our community who are right on the brink of losing their home and their stability. We don't know exactly what this looks like, but Dana Ortiz at Family Promise has vigilantly, vigilantly reminded us that preventing homelessness is cheaper and more effective than working to get someone out once they lose the roof over their head. The numbers are not perfect, but it gives you a contour of the total picture as shared by service providers. Now, onto the federal money that has been injected in state and local governments and specifically into homeless relief. In response to the pandemic, both former President Trump and current President Biden have made funding available to address homelessness. This includes $21.5 billion in emergency rental assistance, $5 billion for housing vouchers, $5 billion to reduce homelessness, and $120 million for housing counseling and fair housing. This does not include money city and county governments will have at their discretion, nor the remnant from the $25 billion passed for housing in December. As the Kansas Housing Corporation director told us in a meeting, this is the most money put toward homelessness and housing from the federal government since the 1970s. So if Lawrence was ever to have an opportunity to address homelessness, this would be the time to do it. 
our homelessness crisis meets the opportunity of federal funding. For that reason, we jumped at the opportunity to work with a trusted long-term advocate for the homeless in our city, Andy Brown. Andy has worked at the Lawrence Community Shelter and Burt Nash and ran the Mental Health Hotline headquarters. He now works as a commissioner at KDADS. Last month, Andy offered to facilitate a housing and homelessness summit that would develop a comprehensive plan for federal funds. Plans for the summit have been developing with members of Justice Matters, city and county staff, Burt Nash, Family Promise, tenants to homeowners, and others. It will be held mostly virtually on April 28th and 29th of this year. The goal is to bring stakeholders together to understand the needs and craft the most effective proposal for the use of federal funds. We essentially want Lawrence to be the first with the best plan forward. That concludes my update. I just want to thank those of you on the Affordable Housing Advisory Board that have helped with this process and share that I'm exceptionally hopeful for the future. Thank you, all of you. Thank you, Sarah and Steve, and uh, thank you for the work you're doing in that arena. And, uh, you know, certainly, you know, the organization of these uh, processes outside the city, you know, city organization to help forward these causes. So uh, thank you. Okay, Jeff, do we have anyone else in person? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. We do not. Okay. Uh, Steve, you see you got your hand up. Did you want to make a comment? Yeah, thank you. My name is Steve Ozark. I'm with Justice Matters Homeless and uh, Affordable Housing Advisory Board. and been walking with you all on this for a while. A couple things to add about this summit on the 28th and 29th of April is especially on the 29th, if you can make yourself available this will be, I, I believe, the skin on the bones for Lawrence to get these millions of dollars uh, to um, utilize this funding, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for housing in your charge to identify affordable housing. So, uh, and as Andy informed us, it's the most amount of money available since the 1970s. And again, as I said last month, your work is just critical because in the, as I listen and the research that's done, it's really the affordable housing component that is so much the question mark about how do we find it and afford it in Lawrence, Kansas. We have so many challenges. And so your work to me is the pinnacle of, of the result that we will have with the money. Money's great, but the plan for it is key. So that 29th of April, if you can all make time, you'll get uh, written information we'll, we'll submit. I also wanted to just let everybody know how this came about. So in doing a research for, for, our homeless research committee, we sent out emails and Andy responded to one about things that could be done at the state level at KDADS. So we just merely did two exploratory meetings to see if we had something, if what, what we were hearing, what we could do. So then we got with uh, uh, Jill and the county and with the city and with the community, because um, again, Justice Matters is here to help uh, invite systemic change. We are not the experts. You all, some of you on the board there are that do the affordable housing. But I wanted to make it clear, we just did two exploratory meetings and now the summit is being turned over to the experts so that we can really take advantage of a once in a lifetime opportunity. 
So your work is critical and I thank you all very much. Thank you, Steve. Um, can you, uh, I didn't see that in the letter that you sent in the information about the 29th summit. So the, it's the uh, 28th and the 29th, 29th of April. As I understand the plan being put together, the 28th is really focused, especially on inviting people mm -hmm. that have vulnerabilities, uh, that have experienced homelessness or houselessness, however you, you term it, uh, for the people with the needs to speak about what their needs are and what the steps are that they will also invite public comment that I believe. Uh, may I speak to the Steve, question? We're losing your audio, Steve. Uh, is that better? That's better. I'll just let you see my fishing beard here. Uh, the, the second day, the 29th, is where the service providers will get together. And I believe it's there'll be some prep work, but this is to lay out how to best move the money from the state into the city of Lawrence. And Andy, Andy Brown was one of you on this board, the Ahab board, as a member one time. Uh, he would very much like to see Lawrence capitalize. And the key is preparation to get this money. They need to spend the money and we just need a really good plan of how to best spend that money so that we'll get that. 29th summit is the opportunity to, to put this together and get to the state. So when, when the millions come in, we know, well, I should say you service providers have a plan that's really what it is in the city and the state and the county for how we're going to put this to best use so they can spend it for best use. Does that make sense? That, Steve, thank you. That doesn't make sense. Can you uh, submit in writing with the dates and information about the summit to the yeah. AHAB as a public comment so that we can get that information back out to the people on the board? Yeah, we'll send that to Diane. Should I send that to Diane? Okay. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'd like to see. Absolutely. So, uh, in writing, but we fully encourage you in your work. This is the golden goose, I guess, of right. opportunity. Well, I think if some of our board members can interact with that summit, you know, at different points or whatever, then we can bring that back to this board. So we just need the information on how to get there and when. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Excellent. Thank you all. Thank you. Mr. Chair, uh, Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. We have a, a follow-up to provide some additional information on that item for the board for you here. Okay. okay. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Chair. There was a Friday meeting and a Saturday meeting, and so we didn't have an opportunity to provide you with an official letter, but you should be getting that from Andy Brown and from Justice Matters. And again, my understanding is that goes to Diane Stoddard. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Perfect. So we will get you. And apologies for not having that submitted prior. I just wanted to make sure we got the information so people can go if they want to, you know, if we can make it. Um. Okay. Do I see it? Have any other public comment? Jeff, I see none. Um. We are going to. Marty, could I just ask a question? Yes, sir. Uh, Edith Guffey, member at large. Uh, I, I think this is wonderful, and I'm uh, really excited that there's going to be this opportunity to attend. I just want to be clear. These dollars that are coming, um, 
we won't have any access to these dollars. Is that possible? Am I right? These are uh, for services, not money that we as affordable housing will have the authority to use for uh, for projects. We're not service providers. Is that accurate? Is that an accurate interpretation? Edith Monty, soak up chair. I don't know that. If there's somebody else that can jump in on that, that'd be great. This is Danny Walters. I can maybe speak a tiny bit to that. Um, there's still a pretty unclear picture as far as some of the funding that, that's coming down from this. For instance, um, you all are, are in charge of looking at the, uh, the home funding. Well, we have been informed that we're getting a very large amount of home funding to address homelessness as well. So we don't know any of the specifics about that. I'm not sure how that's going to filter down through the city process, but um, I guess it's a stay tuned. I hate to say that, but as quick as the, the money was you know, talked about, it, it takes time to kind of backtrack and write all the guidelines and how they want it to be spent. So um, within the next couple of months, we'll probably get some information on that home funding, um, just kind of like what we'll be able to do with it. So um, other than that, like I think there's some information on some of the funding, but there's also not information on some of it, so. That's helpful. I just wanna say, cause we've all, we, we've struggled <laughs> about our role as service providers or not. We, I just want to kind of lock that in our heads. Sure. I, I agree, Edith Smonty. So I agree that we have struggled with that. And to the extent that those funds maybe would come through a process that would come to this board, you know, anything we could learn would be good. Um, and I, you know, maybe selfishly, I'm hoping that, you know, some of the services find other funding sources because we've been encouraging that and that we can really, you know, dedicate our funds on bricks and mortar and and uh, affordable units. But, you know, so I think whatever we can learn, obviously, is good. So, Thomas, I saw you had your hand up to maybe make a comment. Yeah, and I'm going to show my ignorance here, but I just need a little clarification. And this is just, you know, I perhaps should have done a little background work on this. I've heard two terms used here. Danny used the word homelessness, both Steve as well as Sarah first referred to homelessness, but then made a correction to houselessness. Could I get a differentiation? Could somebody define those for me, please? This, Steve, you had specifically first said homelessness and then corrected yourself. Can you tell me why that correction was made? Well, it's a matter of perspective and, and everyone has different ones. I mean, I love Dana Dana's comment that Describing people experiencing people experiencing homelessness is important because a home describes more than a building, right? It's your home. So there's that sensitivity. I try to say experiencing homelessness because if you say someone's homeless, to me that has a derogatory connotation many times that casts them as that I don't I don't like how that sounds or how that feels coming out my mouth or other people's at times. Houseless takes that out. And it's a description that is more uh, current that I hear more people that are woke to that saying houseless 
So they're because because you could have a home by the river, you have a home wherever you live. So it it, it I think in some realms it's a, a matter of taste, but that's my understanding. Experiencing homelessness to me is a respectful way to define somebody who needs a place to be safe, and houselessness is another way to do that. When we say someone is homeless, it's a bit it sounds a bit uh, castigation, I guess is the way I would term it. Us the that's my understanding okay, actually my hand written about the money though uh about Edith's question from talking with andy and i wasn't at the meeting friday but uh the discussion went and and danny would know much more than i ever would because she's the brains in the outfit but this money there's millions of dollars available to lawrence as i understand not just to the state but like funneling this kind of amounts to our housing charge will go through the city, through the county, through the services, through the plan that we come up with cohesively. So I may I may be wrong about that, but in listening to Andy about the plan for this and how the money runs from KDADS, the, the message I got that was cool and clear is they have a lot of money and they want to look good spending it well. And he's encouraging Lawrence to do so. So I, I think it invites the city and the county and Ahab to be part of this discussion. Thank you. Monty Circuit Chair, thank you. I am in order to keep us moving. One last call for public comment. Shannon Borey. <clears throat> am I unmuted? I think so. Um, so the other thing is that we have been given notice that there are going to be some vouchers that will come directly to the housing authority, depending on the methodology they decide to award those, which they, which HUD does not, is not aware of yet on how they're going to do that, but specifically targeted for, um, as Steve says, those experiencing homelessness. Um, and the, one of the, things that I would really like to have at this meeting is those of us who work in the area know that it's, it, it's just not a, a voucher is not enough. It's going to take more to support um, these households and these individuals. And so I'd really like to make sure that's on the agenda about, I will try to get as many vouchers as I possibly can but I will need help from the rest of the community on how to support these individuals. Thank you, Shannon. That's a uh, certainly appreciated perspective and uh, easy to take a victory lap when we get the vouchers, but we, you know, there's, like I said, there's a lot more to that than that for success, successful housing. So, okay, one last call for public comment. And we're going to move on with the agenda. Okay, approve uh, the minutes of March 8th. Um, I would open the floor for a uh, motion if somebody. Mr. Wants. Chairman, uh, this is Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative on Ahab uh, on Ahab, and I move adoption. Uh, I move uh, adoption of the minutes of March 8th, uh, 2021. Okay. Also, Lawrence Board of Realtors representative, I would second that motion. Okay, we have a motion and a second on the floor. Is there any discussion of the minutes? 
Seeing none, I will call the roll and vote. Okay, I'm going to read these. I'm going to read the roll in the same order every time that I read, so you can be prepared to jump right on there. Uh, okay, Edith Guthy. Yes. Shannon Ori. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yes. Paul Newsom. Yes. Monty Soka. Yes. Motion passes 10 to 0. Okay, we are on to the next agenda item, which is the joint session with the Planning Commission. Um, Jeff or Dan, Diane, I'm going to look to you, but first I think we ought to have the people from the Planning Commission introduce themselves. Uh, they've all been on here, they're watching, and uh, we haven't given them a chance to uh, even introduce themselves, so we could do that. And then I guess I think you guys have a little bit of introduction uh, to start the discussion. Uh, certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director, uh, to kind of expedite. I've got a list of the planning commissioners around the call today, so I'll just kind of lead off by going through and they can uh, provide some introductory remarks and then staff would just be happy to kind of tie back to our original discussion all the way back in March of 19 that we had the first time through. So uh, planning commissioners, bear with me. I believe uh, Chair Carter is available. Hi there, uh, David Carter, uh, chair, uh, current chair of the Planning Commission. I've been on the Planning Commission since uh, 2018. Um, uh, I'm a geographer by profession, uh, but with a background in uh, uh, an academic background in planning. Um, and I've been a I'm a, um, a native resident of Lawrence, and very happy to um, to be here with you. Uh, Vice Chair Claire. Luke Sinclair, yeah, I'm Vice Chair of the Planning Commission. Um, I've uh, been on the commission, I, I think, since 2017 or 18. I'm, I'm now I'm, when, when David mentioned the year, I, I started to sweat because I can't remember exactly. <laughs> In any case, um, in my second term, um, and uh, I'm excited about interacting with, with you all today. As Jeff said, it's sort of carrying on from our meeting a couple of years ago. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth. Hello, this is Sharon Ashworth, Planning Commissioner. I believe I've been on the Planning Commission since 2000. Uh, uh, I work for Douglas County Extension, uh, manage the Master Gardener Program, and I'm happy to be here. I wasn't at the uh, first meeting, so I, I'm very anxious to learn um, today. So thank you. Commissioner Carpenter. Jim, you're on mute. Jim Carpenter started on the Planning Commission uh, January 2015. I'm in my second term. I was appointed to fill an unfinished term, so I get to go for another two years. Um, past chair and been involved in a lot of things around the community for years. I'm a city appointee, and I'll just point out uh, Chair Carter and Commissioner Ashworth are also city appointees. Vice Chair Sinclair is a county appointee. So we're a mix of five county appointees and five city appointees that are on the planning commission. 
Commissioner Shanklin. Hi, I'm Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I'm a county appointee to the Planning Commission. I'm now in my seventh month. Um, I have, uh, well, let's say I, I'm a licensed architect in New York, a member of the Kansas Bar. Um, I have academic training in uh, planning and urban economics. And um, I have uh, lived in New York for uh, the 35 years previous to 2017, moving to Lawrence then. And I, um, I have tons of experience in the production of housing around the world. And would love to discuss that with anyone. Thanks. Uh, Commissioner Willie. Hi, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner for about five years, I guess. Um, really interested in housing, housing issues, affordable housing issues, and I feel like I'm, I'm in the trenches in a few aspects of volunteer things that I work on about housing, and I'm really curious to hear how the discussion goes and what uh, Ahab feels that we can partner with and help forward things with the Planning Commission. So let's get into it. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. Um, Commissioner Willie uh, set me up perfectly to kind of continue this on. I, I promise that wasn't scripted by any means there. But um, as part of your agenda this morning, we put on a couple of items uh, that were related mainly to AHABs, the, the housing toolkit, the annual report. The market analysis to kind of share with the Planning Commission. Uh, we also included Plan 2040 Chapter 4, which is the Lawrence Neighborhoods and Housing Chapter, which is where the Planning Commission really puts a lot of work and effort into over the last few months to go through those details. So, um, and we mentioned earlier, the, the first meeting between the two boards, as many of you may remember, was actually in the Riverfront Conference Room at about 7.30 in the morning back in, in 2019. So we're a little bit later in the day right now. But we really wanted to kind of have this just as an opportunity to allow the two boards to talk and discuss on parts that they saw as overlapping and, and discussion points that they wanted to continue on about ways that Affordable Housing Advisory Board can, you know, guide the work of the Planning Commission and the work that the Planning Commission do to help kind of guide the work of the Advisory Board and keep those channels open. Um, and of course, for the, the benefit of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board, in instances like this with the Planning Commissioner, Vice Chair Sinclair sits as the operator of the board for us. So um, with that, uh, turn it over to Monty and Vice Chair Sinclair to kind of kickstart that discussion as they would see fit. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Um, you know, I think there's, a, well, I guess I'll just say that, you know, I, we appreciate, you know, the work that you guys have done on, you know, the ADU, you know, considering the ADU stuff and uh, the smaller lots and, and all of that and just creating the density because I think one of the challenges that I see that we face at least especially in new construction is the fact that um you know we're creating these suburb large lot suburbs or larger lot suburbs and as we continue to do that we're never going to create affordable housing and we need to give the developers some tools to uh one allow them to build at a higher density and create affordable housing but also we need to probably I don't know if encourage is the right word, but somehow we need to get them to the point where they're building the kind of housing stock that our community also needs. I'm not saying we don't need those larger thing, uh, houses and stuff for uh, you know those that can afford them, but we also need to be creating 
affordable stock. And that may mean smaller lots and smaller houses. And um, I'm not sure how we encourage that because that's probably not how they make their best returns, right? But somehow that we need, if we're gonna encourage that, I think that our two groups somehow and probably others need to come up with ways that uh, can make that more profitable maybe. Maybe that's the one thing we need to do because they're gonna be profit driven. Um, and like it or not, I, as much as I love uh, the plan 2040, um, that you know the community benefit um, certainly has created a stir in the development community, as I'm sure you're aware, <laughs> more than aware. Um, and there's concern about that because the, you know there's some uh, you know lack of definition. Nobody really quite knows what that means yet. So um, I would love to see our groups steer that community benefit in the direction of some kind of affordable housing creation of some kind. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that this is my personal opinion. I'm not sure that Lawrence needs too many more parks. I'm not sure we can take care of too many more parks and those kind of things. So the benefit, if it could be affordable housing, certainly would uh, truly be a benefit. So um, I guess I'm going to start off with those comments. Uh, David, do you have anything you'd like to add to that or have other things we should be talking about? Um, no, I think that that's fantastic. I'm going to defer to our, our vice chair, who is uh, our representative at this particular oh. representative leader at this particular meeting. But I appreciate oh, your okay. comments. I think the uh, the issue of the community benefit is bound to be one that we will have an animated discussion over this. So, uh, 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 Vice Chair Sinclair, do, would you like to pick up? Sure, Luke Sinclair, uh, Vice Chair of the Planning Commission. Um, and Mr. Chair, I think I think your comments were were good. I think my uh, reaction to that, and I don't speak for uh, the Planning Commission at all, so I'd invite them to speak up if they want. But um, I think all of us are—I uh, get the sense that all of us are, are dedicated to um, to affordable housing and making sure, I guess, uh, uh, being involved in a way that will uh, make that possible. In my experience, um, you know, I have, I feel like we, though, as a planning commission, in some ways, um, are sort of hamstrung in a way because we almost are reactive to what you know. We get something presented; it comes to us, and it's a, it's something we review and consider, and you know, we have to, we look to um, plan twenty forty for uh, for the goals that are set forth in there, and, and whether or not the proposal or the application that's in front of us. Um, satisfies those and so I guess outside of um, outside of the uh, our concrete decisions on an application for instance maybe a, a, a development application that talks about a community benefit um, I get the feel sometimes that all we can really do is is talk at our commissions and express our thoughts on issues um, instead of actually doing some of the, the dirty work that it seems like Ahab gets to do and, and pushing, uh, you know, ideas and policies and things of that nature. Um, so I like having this discussion because uh, um, it feels like we can be maybe a, more, a little more proactive and engaged in, um, in thinking about these things instead of just reacting when we have uh, an application come in front of us at one of our um, public hearings. 
Thank you, Luke. That's uh, good. I, I can certainly appreciate that, you know, your group isn't the group that's going to push this agenda necessarily. Uh, Karen, you have a comment? Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, I think I think the way that our two commissions can work together is exactly that. Give us stuff to talk about. Bring us items, bring us text amendments that you want us to talk about, because that's what gives us the public forum to move that forward. Um, I've been kind of surprised how silent you've been um, ever since we had the, uh, you know, the two houses on one lot. And I'm like, all right, we blew the doors off of how many square, uh, what kind of size lot it takes to have a duplex, right? Even though that wasn't a duplex discussion, bring us that. We, you know, we don't have good, if we have something that you've initiated, it puts a lot of weight behind it to say, we don't need 15,000 square feet to have a duplex. We already said we only need seven. Push us on that. Um, to any any corner lot, could you could ask us to say, consider a text amendment to say, any corner lot can be a duplex by right in any, you know, within whatever that um, zoning designation is. Um, we're here, we are available for your use. Um, bring us good ideas and let us hash them out. Thank you, Karen. That's that's good. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm an expert on what the next thing we need is, um, but certainly within our group, we have people that, uh, that do enough with development work that we can probably come up with ideas uh, for what we want. Um, I wonder, I guess, it, uh, Shannon, your comment? So I, so I have two questions and one is sort of a, what are, what are the limits um, of what we can ask for kind of question? So let's say we sent you a request that if uh, let Habitat or Tennis to Homeowners is building infill lots, and there are sidewalks and trees on the street, uh, uh, on the lots across the street. Can we bring to you a, a request to say, can they build these without putting in a sidewalk on both sides of the street? And can they have some sort of variance on how many trees they have to do and sort of those types of things? Is that something that you can do? Um, and and so that's my first question is sort of what are the limits of what you guys can that we can send specific requests? And the second one is, have you had one of these public benefit questions? Um, have you had to apply that yet? And what happened in that scenario? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. I, I think I will try to answer on behalf of the commission a little bit there, and, and Vice Chair Sinclair. Been on me if I've stepped astray on those. Uh, to your second question about the public benefit, one has not been brought forward to date, so we don't have any guidance on that one. Uh, for question number one related to trees and sidewalks, there are some levels to which the Planning Commission works in a ministerial function, where if you meet the requirements, they do pass through, and it has to go on its way. 
Um, they do have the ability to hear variances under the subdivision regulations, which is where street trees and sidewalks do lie. So they have some ability to hear that. But in this capacity, it would be in them as the approving body as the variance option, not necessarily as the platting option. So subdivision regulations are a little bit of a, an animal unto itself when you talk about it because it's not quite a zoning code. It's more about land division. So there's a different element that they have to enter into to allow items to go through. And um, Vice Chair Sinclair or any other members of the Planning Commission, please feel free to uh, correct me if I've gone astray there. So. <laughs> I don't think I have any way of correcting you on that, Jeff. Thanks, Sinclair, Vice Chair. Chair, I have a follow-up question, I guess, to that. Is it possible, I'm, I, what I'm trying to do, I mean, thinking about the developer, because really they're our partner in this. We're not going to get this done by, you know, us doing it. So we need to create an environment that's favorable for developers to develop the kind of housing stock we need. So, you know, is it possible to, you know, create some kind of text amendment that says, you know, if your development or this, these three lots fall within the parameters of affordable, that there are, you know, exceptions to, I don't know, I don't know what they would be, the, the number of street trees, the width of sidewalk, whatever it would be, just to help, you know, help push that along and make that kind of development a little more uh interesting to a developer because i think without making it profitable for them they're never going to build i mean they're building for profit this i mean that's just the nature of the beast right whether that's good or bad but so i think we need to think about things and i'm not sure what all the things are maybe you guys have suggestions for things that we could consider looking at you know that you tell us what they are we'll look at them and bring them back to you to you know, see if we can implement them. And maybe that's partly staff too that could help with that. Yeah, Sh Sharon? Thank you, Mr. Sharon Ashworth. Um, I guess I would turn that back and ask if maybe there's bigger fish to fry than street trees and sidewalks. Um, I was pretty excited, you know, the, the, the two lot, the two houses on the lot, and certainly the RS3 zoning, I thought was very promising. That um, I'd like to see uh, more of those options. Um, for sidewalks and tree, street trees, I mean, we have to think of balance of the other goals of Plan 2040. I mean, we want this to be a walkable city and a safe travel city. We want kids to be able to walk on the sidewalks, family to be able to walk on the sidewalks, safe routes to schools. So there are other considerations um, for sidewalks, and I'd hate to add to our um, gap problem in the sidewalks with that. So I'm not very excited uh, about that. And it seems to be pretty small potatoes um, when, we, when it comes to affordable housing. There's got to be bigger fish to fry there. Yeah, Gregory. Hi, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, if, you know, I read the BBC report and, and this, this is in response to board member Sukup's, um a question of a minute ago. Um, the BBC report is very good about expressing need, and it does a reasonably good analysis of the conditions at you know the time in 2018. But what it doesn't do much on is um, how we go about putting units on the ground um, from a supply side perspective. 
And one of the questions that I would ask for, uh, for Jeff Crick is, has there been an inventory done of the developable capacity of the city of Lawrence to produce housing? Um, and what would happen if we tweak that um, in various, various ways um, by changing the zoning ordinance to increase density? And as a follow-up question on that, and um, this relates back to, um, to the mayor's letter, is um, there appears to be some reluctance to test the boundaries of inclusionary zoning um, based on the, the recent legislation that appears to prohibit it, yet at the same time provides for inclusionary housing if coupled with incentives. And um, there's also whether or not Lawrence has considered testing that against the home rule. And so I'm just wondering, you know, inclusionary housing seems to be a, an ideal solution for, for my perspective. I've worked in a lot of cities that have inclusionary housing, and it's a, it's a good way of providing additional uh, affordable units. And so it's a shame that we can't do it. So um, I'd, I'd like to direct all that to, to Jeff Crick, if I may. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin, be happy to answer those. And please, I think I got both questions. So if I can answer one of them, please stop me and make me go back and get them. Um, part of what the department does for planning and development services is we actually do two different reports. We do a residential lot inventory every year that looks at the amount of lots that are in this market and goes through, you know, are they developable? Are they missing infrastructure? And then give you kind of a um, a rough hewn year count of what would be potentially available on the market. And so we do that every year. One other report we're getting ready to kind of start putting uh, back on the schedule again is the multi-dwelling lot inventory report, which looks at the, it, where that first one I mentioned looks solely at detached dwelling and single family zoning districts. This one looks at multifamily zoning and lot capacity and items on that side. Um, I don't have the numbers just off the top of my head, but I think for the last uh, residential lot inventory, it was somewhere between, I want to say four to five years, and I don't think that number's right as I start saying it out loud. I think it might be a little lower than that. For the last multi-dwelling lot inventory, we had about 21 years of latent capacity in the market for RM uh, multifamily zoning in the city. Um, part of those, both of those reports go into the calculation that we use to develop the growth tiers for Plan 2040. So they were both factored in as part of the development factors of what was available on the market coming online. So they directly feed into that kind of tiering system that you see in Plan 2040 to understand what is available kind of just as a exercise of potentially available on the lots and potentially available in the multifamily. Um, and as planning commissioners know, and I'm sure Ahab also knows this very well too, is with multifamily zoning is while you may have the capacity to go up to 32 units per acre, most developers actually don't go up to the maximum cap. They usually work some level below of it because of um, you can run into easements or other things in there. So instead of you go, you know, the way the brackets work is there's a 24 cap and a 32 cap, but you need to go to 30. So you up zone to 32 because you need to come back down. So. There's a lot of different calculations that go into that as, as we get to it. Um, and I believe, Commissioner Shanklin, your first question was about the supply side, is that correct? Or I think I've, I've lost track of that one. <laughs> yeah, I, well, the supply side generally, and that, that goes to both development capacity, 
but also the skill set from the, the local construction industry. Um, and, and can you, if, if you were to try to encourage higher density uh, in the city center, um, would people be able to build those units? Um, it seems that we, we've made development pretty easy at the urban fringe. Um, you know, it, all we have to do is extend services. And I'm, I'm not even sure whether Lawrence uh, has an impact fee, uh, which is another tool that, that ought to be considered if it isn't being used. But, but we make it easy to build at the fringe, and, it, and it's hard to build in the center. And, and, you know, so you ask the question, can people do it? Is the technology available? Is the skill set there? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. It, I think that was a discussion point. I know we've had a planning commission. I think Ahab's also had it um, in many different ways over the years here. Um, infill development can be a bit tricky because there's a lot of different pressures that you tend to have in the middle that you don't typically have on sometimes the edges where you have those neighborhoods. And it can be um, neighborhood opposition. It could be infrastructure changes that have to occur, um, upsizing of lines. And there's a, there's a lot of different factors to it. Um, by, by no means am I an expert on construction capabilities. I believe um, that we do have some people on Ahab who are much more uh, versed and able to answer that than I would even be able to pretend to. So I would defer to them on that aspect. Yeah, go ahead, Karen. So, Commissioner Shanklin here. May, may I just follow on with the inclusionary uh, zoning sure. and and impact fee questions. If you could just clarify that for me, I'd really appreciate it. Certainly, Jeff, okay. Planning and Development Services. Uh, we don't necessarily have an impact fee. There are system development charges. Are required as you connect to the water and the wastewater uh, system, so those who come online for those. Um, and as far as I'm aware, inclusionary zoning, we've basically had that uh, removed from our toolkit, which I think the Affordable Housing Advisory Board's toolkit identifies that as a item that's not available to us under Kansas law. Now, I, I can't speak to the, the aspect of home rule that you mentioned. That is um, well outside of my wheelhouse, but um, I do know that that is, some, that is a, a bit of a, a legal position that I'm not well enough to be able to answer on. Commissioner Shanklin again. I, I think we should look at that inclusionary zoning because unless the other lawyers on, on uh, the commission or the board uh, could speak to that, um, it appears to me in Clause C that there's an express permission to have inclusionary zoning if you couple it with incentives. And so if, if you permit additional units to be built on a lot, for example, um, as an incentive, uh, so long as they are affordable, um, you can start to work to solve that problem. Go ahead, Karen. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, I was kind of tacking on a little bit of what uh, Commissioner Shanklin was talking about, uh, not so much with the inclusionary zoning, but with um, just having the capacity to build when we are able to build. Um, so, of course, there's two aspects to the cost of building. One is the materials and the other is the labor. Cost of materials are through the roof right now, um, but labor here is especially also. And I think we can maybe chip away at that a little bit. Um, we have Peasley Tech that is training and turning out people in trades. 
Um, but we have barriers with our licensing program, our general contractor licensing program in the city of Lawrence that are barriers to entry for people who are new or getting established, uh, which also hurts people of color who are trying to you know, step into a field where they are underrepresented. Um, I think that that we can be more proactive with how we look at that. Not, I, I, the licensing program came in and really, if you're full-time, it's not a big barrier in terms of um, the, the continuing education and then this fee and that fee that the city of Lawrence requires, but it really squeezed out all of the part-time, um, do it yourself, you know, you know, mom and pop kind of contractors that were doing, um, it, um, making things accessible, uh, doing remodels, you know, all these things. The price in Lawrence for labor for these things is incredibly high. And it's because we have so few people doing the work and we used to have more of those people than we have now. So I think there's, that's not maybe something that's, that's, that's fun to talk about in terms of housing, but I think it's a, a big impact in terms of keeping people in their homes um, as they age, uh, making them accessible, is we don't have the handymen, handy people to do the work. Um, and we could do more with that. And we could partner more with Peasley as and making sure that the people that they're training have a way to also fulfill that need for our community. Thank you, Karen Samonte, SOGAP Chair. Um, that's interesting, I think, that you bring that up because we, in the last several fund, rounds of funding, we have uh, funded projects to keep people in their homes, to make accessible, you know, there has been a significant amount of funding and actually there's been more requests for funding than we've been able to fund. And, um, you know, Tennis to Homeowners, I think, actually started a new program this year called ARM that essentially does that as well. So that's certainly a need and, uh, you know, but we can, you know, with, of course, with the funding, we can always use more, more of that. But that is, a, that is an issue that we have struggled with. Uh, you know, there's never enough funding and we have to make these selections <laughs> and we're trying to balance, uh, you know, whether that's new units, keeping people in existing homes so they don't lose their house or keeping them so they can stay, you know, longer. So uh, that's a good point. Um, yeah, Ron. Um, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to um, uh, comment on Commissioner Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative Ahab Board. I'd like to comment on Commissioner uh, Shanklin's uh, comments and, and say that I'm encouraged by them. Um, that he was really asking a question, but I'm encouraged by the question. And, and you know, the question was, why don't we take advantage of what appears to be an express authorization in the statutory language to use uh, an inclusionary zoning device with incentives. And, you know, that, that's exactly the discussion we needed to have ever since the uh, community benefit um, requirement in plan 2040 uh, started to emerge is what do those negotiations look like? Uh, I'm not surprised at all to hear that there hasn't been a single uh, analysis of a community benefit requirement in Plan 2040. The developers are all sitting back very intentionally and just watching this play out. And we don't have any metrics in our community to measure whether Plan 2040 is successful. Not that I've been able to find. 
So, you know, if nobody tests the requirements of the community benefit, and we just sat here without any additional development on the perimeter, no one can point a finger and say, well, that's a success or that's a failure, because we don't have a metric that's driven by housing numbers by which we evaluate Plan 2040. I guess Plan 2040 would be a failure if we built something that started falling apart right away uh, or was so obviously in the wrong place that it never should have been built uh, at all. But beyond that, we don't really have any standards to evaluate whether this new set of requirements is successful or not. So to hear that that someone on the planning commission might actually be favorable to creating, to providing incentives to a developer to do something. And I don't mean that in an ironic way. I mean that very seriously. Ultimately, any incentive would have to be approved by our city commission and you don't get elected to our city commission by promising to give residential developers incentives. You get defeated at the polls. So um, I, I think that what's missing is uh, the very same thing that Monty said he'd like to see. We don't have these discussions with enough private sector people. We've got, I'm looking at my screen, you know, there's three of us, Paul, Tom, and me. And I know nothing about the development industry, only what I've been reading since I've been an AHAB member. I'm not really a representative of that industry. I'm just the chambers guy who happened to have an interest in housing issues. And, um, you know, everybody else wandered off to other things. And I was still standing looking at the AHAB assignment and thinking, well, this will be interesting. And gosh, it has been. So to hear that they're, to, to hear um, a, 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 someone publicly suggests that we incentivize private sector developers to build what all of our surveys tell us is desperately needed in the community is to me, I think, something of a very important first step. And I want to do everything I can to encourage it. I, I you know, we've got a lot of smart people on this Zoom call. We're not going to solve this problem. The people, people in this room this Zoom room can only work on the policy side. There are only a few not-for-profits uh, that are building any new units uh, or putting people in rentals on, on the call. The rest of us are just you know, here for the policy work, I guess. And we've got to get the builders and, and the labor sources and everything lined up if we're gonna move the needles on, on all of the, uh, on, on all of the metrics that I think are important, which are how many people are we putting into into homes, into Thank houses? You. Thank you, Ron. I think I got Luke and Jim both maybe indicated they wanted to talk. But Luke, go ahead. Mr. Uh, sure, Luke Sinclair, Vice Chair, Planning Commission. I'll be short because Jim will probably, I know he's more articulate on some of these issues and may be thinking the same things. But the one thing I wanted to mention is I don't know if I'm if I'm confused by the discussion a little bit, but as I understand it, the community benefit requirement is only applicable when we when we get into discussions of annexations. Mm -hmm. um, and so, if people are uh, if they're a developer, or, I mean, 
I think development in the city needs to be thought of separately from the community benefit provision of Plan 2040, because that's really we're, we're, that's as, as applicable on the fringes. Um, and so then I guess if we if we can split that up, then we can talk more about you know what what we what can be done to incentivize infill development, more density um, versus that on the fringes. Because I think Plan 2040 is pretty clear and, and actually specifically says that you know no. they, you can talk or i guess the city staff can discuss with a with a developer that wants to annex um offsetting incentives and that <laughs> that was basically a uh uh sort of giveaway to um builders and developers in the process of of putting the plan together because that wasn't in there to begin with that that was just something that was raised as a, as a concern. Um, so I would just point that out, I guess, as we sort of talk about these sorts of things. Uh, Monty, so uh, Luke, I think you're exactly right. There's two things going on there. And uh, really, uh, <laughs> I agree. We need to figure out how to make these infill projects work for developers you know they want to go out and build you know 20 houses in a row because there's efficiency in doing that and whatnot for them to come in and do a onesie twosie somewhere just becomes a lot more difficult and and if there isn't an incentive there to do that of some kind whether that's you know what that incentive looked like i don't know uh i'm not smart enough to figure that out but um we need to create that atmosphere that gives them the opportunity uh, to still be profitable and and get these you know houses we want and maybe you know that's a incentive that's tied to affordability obviously in, in my view so Mr. Chair, yeah. uh, Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. I believe uh, Shannon Allery, Paul Newsom, and Jim Carpenter have their digital hands raised. <laughs> okay, great. Paul, go ahead. Well. Uh -huh. The license barriers, the sidewalks, the street trees, I think those are all great things to discuss, talk about starting points, et cetera. I, I just think it's worth noting um, that currently, and it's, it's not groundbreaking news, but currently we are being far outpaced with lumber prices, material prices. Um, I don't want to call them bidding wars on existing homes, but our our Thomas can speak to this better, but our housing stock is uh, so low that we're often seeing uh, prices driven up uh, just on offers uh, for homes for sale. So um, it's just worth noting and keeping at the forefront of this discussion that um, right now we're up against some big factors that are really driving up costs very significantly. Thank you, Paul. That's very true. Uh, Erica, did you have your hand up? Is that what? No, Shannon. I think it was up from before, so I'm not sure who <laughs> takes it down, but. All right. Um, Mr. Chair, yeah. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter has his digital yeah, hand up. I see. Jim? Uh, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I just want to build on several things that have been said. Um, first, Vice Chair Sinclair did come in with 
several of the things I had my hand up about. We went through plan 2040, you know, line by line, word by word for months. And when it went to the city committee, and this is after five and a half years with the steering committee. So when it did go to the city commission, there are only two paragraphs that were discussed. One was the community benefit and the other was changing a may back to a shell because we had changed it to shell to may and they wanted it back. Um, and that was it because the rest of it, but so this just kind of leads into the, the role of the planning commission here. We're just an advisory board, except for a very small number of things, granting variances, which we've had sidewalks come up. We've had street trees. There was a text amendment to have those, the timing of when sidewalks and street trees went in. We gave our advice on that, that went to the city commission. But, you know, we've got plan 2040 sitting out there, um, but it's not been implemented yet. So we can't really say it's been tested or not tested because we have area plans that surround the city. They've not been updated to reflect plan 2040 yet. We have a building code, building and development code from 2006, which the only updates to that so far are to change references from horizon 2020 to plan 2040. We haven't gone through and really looked at the development code or zoning categories or anything else to see how or if they should be modified to bring us more into compliance with plan 2040 and specifically with affordable housing early we heard about lot sizes there is a discussion about lot sizes yeah. and i don't know how many i'm sure all of you watch our every one of our meetings but <laughs> we've had quite a few meetings where lot sizes have come up and it's in lands in uh, growth tier two surrounding the city and even in three, because if the city's going to expand, it's a lot harder to expand to areas with five acre lots than it is to city lot sizes. It's the infrastructure costs are outlandish. We're also at a point the city's got to figure out if we go northwest, which is where it seems to be the push and to the west that we're at that stage of needing another fire station. Where's that gonna come from? So there's, there's so many competing issues going on at one time here. And as was pointed out, this community benefit is, is only for newly annexed land, but we're kind of stuck on newly annexed land until we get area plants upgraded because we're having majority votes that turn down large lots in those areas or something that goes against plan 2040, throwing it to either the city or the county commission to make a decision. You also have to consider, you know, the city commission is only up to the city limits and a little bit about what we'd like to see in, in growth tier two outside the city limits. And then we got to bring in the county. Now we've got Eudora that's put a ban on any new residential and growth tier three around their city. So we're, there's a lot of moving parts and our role, we really, like I said, is advisory, unless it comes to amending the comp plan. And then we have to agree to that just like the city and county commissions have to. So that's kind of our biggest club right there. But 
as was said, you know, anybody can bring up issues and bring them to us. Glad to have the discussions. We're still trying to figure out, you know, we need plans updated. And, that, you know, the city's made efforts to bring on more staff to do that. So don't give up. But I, I, I can't let the community benefit thing pass either. Um, with all due respect to Commissioner Shanklin, he's the only one out of the 10 that wasn't here for that discussion that went on for, I think, three meetings and then one contentious city commission. Um, and the idea, as Vice Chair Sinclair brought up, is that this inclusionary zoning, requesting affordable housing for certain housing types in newly annexed land could be considered their community benefit, which in turn would get provide some incentives in some form, such as reduced fees or <clears throat> higher density or anything else that the city was able to negotiate. Community benefit wasn't meant to be a static issue. It was meant to be vibrant and take into consideration the needs of the community at the time that there was a request to bring in the land. So. It hasn't been tested because we're kind of stuck without updating the plans to be able to annex. We haven't even updated the annexation rules in our land use development code to bring them in compliance with plan 24. So we have conflicting rules out there. So there's a lot of groundwork we have to get through first. So I I don't know, it's, it's daunting, but send us whatever, because then it puts more pressure on the city commission. And I wish there was a way we could send more from you to the county commission at the same time. Thank you, Jim. I want to make one quick little comment, and then I see Paul's got his hand up. So, um, Monty Sokup, Chair Ahab. Um, I wonder if it would be helpful if we actually somehow tried to define at least one community benefit so that when something came, you know, if we said, okay, if you're gonna build, you wanna annex, you know, five acres to build a subdivision or whatever that is, 20 acres, that we would say, if you put, you know, 5% of that or whatever the number is into the affordable realm, that would be considered a community benefit because then that would maybe at least give the developers something that they know if they meet this criteria, that is likely to be approved as their community benefit. Because I think part of the part of the concern in the development community, at least the people I've talked to, is like we don't know what it means. We don't know if we, you know, develop a plan and spend, you know, several thousand dollars developing a plan and we go to get it, you know, preliminary approval or whatever, and it gets canned, and then we're back to ground zero figuring out again what our next submittal is be. So if we could make some kind of, if our group could say, look, this is what we see as community benefit and could push that out to your group, um, would that be helpful? So and with that, I'm gonna turn it over to 
Paul, I guess, unless somebody has a comment on that. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, if I may just kind of piggyback. On that one, on page 21 of Plan 2040, there's actually outlined uh, community benefits may include but are not limited to, and it provides a list of items there. Item number one on the list is the creation of permanent affordable housing or the provision of land donation to the Housing Trust Fund. So there's already kind of a, a list of options that are out there in the open that are that are potentially available. It's It's got a quite a wide range of them. Um, includes um, parks, public safety, educational facility, potential for lands, preservation of sensitive lands, uh, creation of primary employment opportunities, and addressing the goals of the strategic plan. So there's, there is a list out there, but item number one on that list that is, is towards that affordable housing item. And if I could take a moment, I'll kind of piggyback back towards uh, Commissioner Carpenter's comment. I think the comment about, you know, the land development code is a great one. That code was developed in 2006, and it was based on a 1998 comprehensive plan that we've just recently shelved. I think the moment is upon us to have a take a look at and say, this new code or whatever we want to do next, does it give us the community that we want? Is it giving us the things that we desire to see? And I think the role of Affordable Housing Advisory Board is just as magnified and powerful as Planning Commission in that because... You know, that's going to be the document that guides the way that Lawrence and in some ways Douglas County will grow in the next 20 years. So I think, you know, your, the board the AHAB is going to have a very strong role in it. I think Planning Commission is going to have a very strong role in that by, by stature of what they do. But I think a rewrite in the code in that way would actually fall in a very good line for both entities to bring those together and meld them in a way that we start to see them kind of take heart in the community more than we do now. Thank you, Jeff. And I, I, I was aware of the list and recognize it says affordable housing, but as a developer, does that mean one lot, one house, or does that mean, you know, half of my development has to be in order to get through the next line? I think some, you know, at least for affordable housing, we could we could come up with something that says, you know, if you're five percent, you know, affordable in that new neighborhood, then that would build the bill, right? Yeah, I think we could maybe put some better definition, possibly, and maybe that's a death trap. I don't know. <laughs> Just trying to think of how to push forward and give them the development community some more certainty that they are, and when they're investing money and in in trying to get something annexed or developed, that they have more certainty as they go in through the process. Just like they have the code to guide them on what their streets have to be and the sidewalk has to be and all that. They need, they need probably more, a little more meat around that. It's my gut feeling. Yeah. So I have put off Paul for quite a while here. <laughs> Paul, did you, you had your hand? Okay. Sorry. Well, didn't mean to take the floor there. No, you're good. Paul Newsom, Lawrence Home Builders Association. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to say this precisely, but to the, to the extent that both of our boards are advisory boards or we advise and we um, don't have a lot of uh, policy making muscle. Uh, I just, on some level, I think it's important to also be aware of that role and um, making, making the uh, decision makers aware of the sense of urgency that some of us are feeling and um, concern about, you know, specifically home builders and, and developers in that some of the ambiguity that, uh, of the, of the um, benefit, uh, but also just 
kind of already feeling like we're behind the gun where we're behind five years behind planning on where we're going to go next or how we're going to jump the bypass or which direction can the city grow should the city grow so just to the extent that we do advise it's also important to advise of some of the urgency that's being felt out there Yeah, Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious, uh, Chamber Representative to the AHAC Board. Um, uh, a response to some of the comments I've heard from um, uh, representatives of the Planning Commission, um, I had not heard anyone articulate the trailing work that needed to be done uh, following adoption of Plan 2040. And it sounds as though um, that could stretch out over many meetings. And then I hear Paul's comment talking about the urgency uh, from the perspective of developers and builders. And and I feel as an affordable housing advisory board member, uh, a sense of urgency to have longer term plans for creating new affordable housing uh, facilities, actual units. I'm, I'm wondering to the leadership of the planning commission, does it make sense to try to accelerate some of that work by intentionally compressing it into a shorter period of time? And what kind of burdens would that put? And Jeff, this would be a quick question for you then also. What kind of burdens would that put on staff or planning commission if we tried to take what, and I don't know, maybe that trailing work would take three years or two years? Is there any way to get it compressed into 12 months so that the developers and builders can start to see uh, with greater acuity what the requirements and standards and zoning requirements are going to provide and, and call for? It, it, is, that, is that a bottleneck that's right in front of us and we're just now identifying it, or at least I'm being aware of it. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. Um, Commissioner Gates, let me kind of give you a, uh, an answer on that one. One item I think is we've had a little bit of a bottleneck with Plan 2040 because we were very focused on getting that figured out and the details sorted because that's going to inform all of the next steps that come after that. Part of what the Planning Commission sees and does with the County Commission and the uh, City Commission is there's a three-year work plan that is developed that kind of outlines what's going to be happening to kind of carry out those implementation steps going forward. Um, Planning Commission, I think, is aware of this. And I don't know if AHAB is, but there recently was additional staff members that were added to our planning division inside of Planning and Development Services that we're hoping will allow us, excuse me, we're, that will allow us to get out there and hopefully get ahead of a lot of those planning issues that we've seen before. So what we're working on right now is how to speed up those area, sector, and neighborhood plans to kind of get caught up with that work in there. 
Another item that we're actively looking at is actually the land development code because a lot of that kind of the crux of the thing is the code itself is going to be it and what we're working forward to right now is a recommendation for having somebody come on to do that kind of work to get that up to speed too. So it's if you're you're correct in kind of seeing that it is a little bit of a, a bottleneck in some ways there but we're trying to we've got some added staff coming online to help us clear that out we're going to find some ways to kind of make some of that work happen a lot quicker you know a comprehensive plan takes a, a bit of time to write and we hopefully want to make that period of implementation as short as we can coming out of one of those so that's something we're working on right now at the So I just um, want to bring up the fact that um, uh, the Home Builders Association has worked with us and come and appeared before us and they had a whole list of things that they wanted to be considered to, to try to reduce the cost of development. And we did a whole review of that and staff brought us the, uh, a memo back. And the outcome was that kind of no single item would result in a significant amount of savings. And, and from a policy perspective, I just want to say, you know, really clearly that I love living in Lawrence, right? I love the way our city looks. I love our trees. I love that I rode my bike to work today um, and that I did so safely. But at some point, our like some of these issues are going to bump up against each other um, and we can't have all of the aesthetically pleasing things and all of those type of things and develop a significant amount of affordable housing and and you know I've been here 20 years now and what I see a lot is Sometimes nobody wants to make the really hard decisions about, you know what, we're not going to require this many trees or we're not going to require sidewalks on both sides or we're not going to require, you know, some other thing because all of those things add up and what we're going to try to do is figure out one way from point A to point B to reduce building a house by you know, pick a percent, 10%, 15%, something. Um, because otherwise, we're going to keep, I mean, we're going to continue to have this conversation. And, and I mean, I've been involved, I think, in AHAB since the very beginning, which was what, 16, 15, 16? We've had this conversation now for six years. Um, and other than the double density or the density bonus, we I mean, there hasn't been significant amount of progress on talking about what does it cost to build a house in the city of Lawrence. Mr. Chair. Yeah, go ahead, Thomas. Thomas Howell, Lawrence Porter Realtors Representative. And I apologize, anybody who was on our little meeting the other day, I am, I'm gonna go back on my high horse about this. Uh, a year ago, we had 400 houses to sell in the city of Lawrence. In February of this year, same one year later, we had 40 houses to sell. We are getting deeper and deeper into this hole. One of the issues that I continue to hear is that the, the minutia and the red tape that it takes 
to do development is holding us back. And I don't know how we address this. I'm very pleased that we are having a discussion today about how do we move forward? When I moved to Lawrence in 1978, we were extremely vital. There were people wanted to move to Lawrence. I think it was a town of about 60,000 at that point. We had good growth. We had good attractiveness. We had, uh, uh, it was a great community. It was not, it was, it was, there was growth and there was activity and there was liveliness. And I feel like we have lost that to some extent. Uh, we are going to get deeper and deeper into trouble if we do not make some substantial changes to how do we look at uh, growth? How do we look at development? During that meeting, and I had left by this time, my understanding is that there was some uh, feeling that this is a very self-centered position that both the Lawrence Home Builders and Lawrence Realtors are taking. But the reality is that all of us are people. I moved to Lawrence because of a lot of reasons. And I, I do a lot of service. I serve in a number of capacities. I serve our community because I love this community and I want it to grow. I want it to thrive. Uh, and so this conversation is really, it's so important. And I'm really pleased to have planning commission here to be able to talk about are there substantive changes that we can make? The fact that we're still working with a 2006 document, that to me, I, when I heard that, that is appalling. That, that says, what is it that's holding us back? So I apologize for my impassioned speech there, but I think that we need to make substantial, uh, we, we need to put things in play, whether that comes out of this group, whether it comes out of uh, a, a whole separate task force, I think that it is really important to uh, the, the well-being of this community that all of us, we would not be on this call if we did not believe that service to our community was important. And I, I look at this whole group of people and I say, the only reason you are here is because you are giving your time to make our community better. So let's do it. Let's figure out how to make our community better. Monty, Chair, uh, Chair uh, Karen, go ahead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a, just a few more people make comments, and I think we need to kind of wrap this up. And I'm gonna try to maybe summarize that. But I'm gonna, if you have a thought, let's get it out there. And uh, so, go ahead, Karen. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I think we could benefit from hearing from Rebecca Buford if you're willing to talk about your experience building in Baldwin and why that might be different and if there are any lessons for us. So I know you have some lots or are working on some lots um, nearby the um, housing not-for-profit that uh, Commissioner Carpenter and I serve on. So if you have anything to add, that'd be great. Thank you, Karen. I, unfortunately, we're just in the beginning phases of that, so I don't know that I have lessons learned yet. Um, I think it does, in my 20 years of developing affordable housing in Lawrence, um, and I'm the executive director of Tenants to Homeowners, I didn't introduce myself well. Um, I Well, first of all, I need to say inclusionary zoning, yes. However we want to do it with incentives. I, I mean, I think it gets at the issue we're all talking about is like there's value judgments and developers are often seen as, and I am a developer of affordable housing, but a developer nonetheless that has gotten very frustrated with different rules um, that make it very hard to afford and build what, what we're trying to do. Um, but I think there's, 
there's some need right now, and this discussion is a great example of that and continuing with Plan 2040 and the new land development code. It sounds like there's going to be some great discussions here soon that these groups really talk about the reality of we may need to limit some of our values on sidewalks on both sides of the street and some of these things, and that other groups have to be willing to do higher density uh, inclusionary zoning where some of your development, you're going to have to make partnership with someone who does affordable housing. And those discussions, I, I mean, I can't say enough about, I know the supply issue has come up over and over again on the community benefit, but to me, us giving incentives and saying, look, but for some incentives, here's some community benefits you have to provide, which is affordable housing, means I've heard from developers that do much bigger um, units to permit uh, Commissioner Shanklin's point that have the capacity to do that. And now they're talking to me to say, hey, can you do five or 10 of those as affordable? So now we're not putting it all on developers. We're creating incentive packages and ideas that we can work cooperatively and bring, you know, the affordable housing nonprofits that are at this table who don't have capacity to build 500 units. We don't, but we need to increase the supply to that. So Monty's saying we need to get the, the for-profit developers involved. How do we create cooperative efforts on that development to increase supply and increase affordability within that supply? And to me, inclusionary zoning and incentive packages and demanding uh that we meet those those efforts is you know part of the what we need to come up with as part as part of new code new rules um and uh it sounds like it's amazing this discussion it sounds like we're all really on the same page we just need some additional tools to push the needle that direction and i do agree with paul of course we're as we start doing this right now our costs are insane. So we're, you know, that's kind of a bottleneck in uh, material costs that hopefully won't be forever, but it's hard to imagine they'll go down much. So we really have to also consider that in our, in our values. And, you know, I love sidewalks as much as anyone else, but the, the density, the uh, new development we're working on, which is a new cul-de-sac with a, uh, those 3,000 square foot lots, right? So great job. We have 3,000 square foot lots. We're creating a little more density. But the idea that we need to put sidewalks on both sides of a half a block cul-de-sac that goes to a sidewalk that goes to the Burroughs Creek Trail is a ridiculous expense that is not needed on a cul-de-sac. And so that's a really good example of where my seven houses, those small lots, I'm still at 50,000 a lot. You know, it's it's unaffordable to start with and but we've got smaller we're building smaller houses. Now my material costs have gone up by 20,000 to 30,000 per house. We're we're going to have to get an additional huge subsidy. We've gotten 175,000 additionally from the Sunderland Foundation. That's not going to cover it. So the reality is we're going to have to make some decisions and make sure that those values are going to create 
more supply that includes affordable supply. Because I agree, I don't want us to have policies that just create supply um, for wealthy individuals. Um, so, you know, there's a kind of carrots and stick approach that has to be taken. And um, those are my thoughts, but I will absolutely report back on if there is some differences with Baldwin and, and are, is there some lessons learned there? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay, I'm gonna kind of wrap, try to wrap this up and maybe summarize a little bit, at least what I heard. Um, and I think the, the big things that I took away from this is that the Planning Commission would love to have us look at changes or maybe text amendments, whatever that is, that would help incentivize, create affordable housing for you guys to consider. Because our, our mission is affordable housing, period, right? And you guys are the enforcement of, you know, and review and enforcement of those kinds of codes and things. So, um, you know, to the extent that you guys have ideas, I, we would love to receive those ideas for things that you think might, we might be able to have an I know you aren't gonna make a recommendation on them necessarily, but if you would send them to us and say, hey, you should look at this, because this might yield something, uh, you know, then we, we can uh, do, do the work and make the recommendations that help on affordable. Okay, so I see, and I'm going to wrap that up. And if David has his hand up, I'm going to ask for him to speak and then we'll be done. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mr. Chair. I just wanted to amend uh, your comment um, or your observation, which came from, I think, um, uh, uh, Commissioner Carpenter, this idea that uh, we'd love to see specific ideas coming from you, because I do want to speak to the issue of uh, street trees and sidewalks, which came up several times. You know, we did uh, discuss that recently, and I want to contextualize that in the, in the, uh, from the perspective of return on investment. Because any degradation of our expectations from an environment, you, environmental safety or aesthetic perspective um, ought to come with a specific benefit so that we can measure what we're sacrificing versus what we're getting out of it. And um, the specific context of that discussion was not just that it's not going to have uh, enough of a benefit, but that it came as part of an initiative to reduce the cost of housing construction by a specific percentage. And that, that these uh, uh, recommendations failed to meet that goal. So I think my observation during that meeting was, we're all for um, looking for ways to reduce the cost of construction, but we, it ought to come as a package of recommendations that we can discuss and not just a couple of things that might have some sort of impact, but still on their own whittle away at our expectations from a community standpoint. So I just want to amend what you said about, you know, specific recommendations, not just in terms of incentives, but for in terms of overall policy recommendations that have the potential to materially affect the affordability of housing in Lawrence. Thanks. Thank you, David. And uh, yeah, I, I would just add to that, I guess, a little bit that, you know, our goal would be, you know, if we're going to make some impact, it would be for the sake of incentivizing affordable. So I'm not going to make a recommendation to, or I don't see us making a recommendation to street trees and for anything that's not in the affordable realm, you know. Uh, it's not our job to look at that code and, and figure out what that is. That's not what we do. But only in the fact that it might incentivize or 
uh, allow someone to build affordable housing. So uh, we're going to limit our scope <laughs> to what we might recommend to you guys, I think. So, okay. One last call if somebody has a last comment or anything, and then we're going to move on to the next agenda item. Okay, see none. I would sincerely like to thank the Planning Commission members that came today. It's been a great discussion. Love having that and uh, gives us some uh, good things to chew on for a while. And uh, hopefully we'll get something back to you guys to uh, some, some creative ideas and, and uh, things that will help incentivize uh, affordable housing. So thank you. Um, moving on to item two, I guess receive monthly financial report. Uh, good afternoon, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, while everyone, uh, all of our planning commissioners uh, drop off the call, I will give a, a very brief update on our revenues and expenditures for 2021. Um, I just wanted to highlight that uh, we have now received our March sales tax figures and we received in the sales, uh, in the affordable housing sales tax fund, about $79,000 um, in the month of March. Um, which is keeping us right on track with our um, kind of revenue estimates. So we've collected about 27% of uh, sales tax revenue proceeds about a quarter of the way through the year. So we are uh, right on track with where we um, expect to be. Uh, typically, February is a little bit higher. So um, just wanted to kind of make that note for you all. Um, on the expense side, we do not have any expenditures yet, um, even though you all have uh, made uh, recommendations to the commission. They've received those recommendations. Uh, we actually don't see that on the financial side um, until we actually get all of those agreements um, fully executed, fully signed, uh, and into our system. So those will start to trickle in uh, probably over the next few meetings, but just wanted to highlight and make note of that. So with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions uh, any of you may have. Uh, Ron. Ron, go ahead. Uh, yes, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative Ahab Board. Uh, question for Danielle. Um, do, do we have any projects that have been funded in prior years that have stalled or not started for some reason? And I'm thinking specifically of the empty lot at where I thought 23 Tennessee was going. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. Um, I think that um, Danny Walters is on, and, and Danny perhaps she's been in contact recently with um, that particular project and may have an update uh, for you to share. But we do monitor all the projects, and um, there's certain milestones that the projects have to meet in order to receive the funding. And of course, we are looking to them to provide reports for us too after the housing is done. This particular one. Um, she has a ha, would have some information here for you. Thank you. Yes, this is a uh, Danny Walters. The uh, the twenty three ten flats project has um, gone through a little bit of a, of, of changes. And the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden, as as we've documented on this call, price of materials has gone up. Um, so they're in the process of, of, of taking a look at this. And if this project does change, they will be bringing it back to you for consideration. Um, 
They have until I believe it's sometime in October to commence construction to be within the uh, stipulations of the agreement. So um, more to come on that in a in a relatively short amount of time. So. Thank you, Danielle. Any other questions on that, on the monthly financial report? Okay, thank you. Uh, we'll go to quick updates, which I think, uh, turn this over to Jeff, I think. Actually, uh, Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. I'll actually turn it back to Dave. She can uh, introduce. Oh. <laughs> okay. yeah. Daniel Walters, uh, Development Services. Yes, um, we are incredibly thrilled to introduce to you guys our new affordable housing administrator. Um, Leah Roslin's on the phone. Um, she, uh, you might, some of you might recently know her with the uh, United Way. She's the VP of Community Impact there. Um, she has a, a great uh, track record with strategic planning and, and grant system implementation and grants management, organizational leadership, um, a lot of really great board experience, community engagement experience, and then uh, she also has a lot in the uh, in the area of equity impact work. So um, we are thrilled that that she's joining us, and and think that that she is going to be great with this group and and great with this work. So um, Leah, I don't know if you have anything you want to add. She officially doesn't start until uh, next week, but <laughs> she was gracious enough to to attend the meeting with us here today. So. Okay, I'm, I'm nope, not I, hearing anything from you. Know, I guess not, but yeah, so she'll, she'll be with us uh, full-time starting uh, next meeting. And Great. you guys will hear from her before then too, just kind of as she introduces herself. Great. Well, I know the whole committee is looking forward to having a dedicated staff person, not that you guys have not done a great job because you have, <laughs> but uh, having that dedicated person will be, be fabulous for us. So welcome aboard. Um, I guess the last thing on the agenda is a letter. I don't know that we have to discuss that. I thought it looked really good and uh, glad that went out to the, to the state uh, to be submitted for that committee to work on. So I think that was a good statement. So thank you for staff for uh, getting that all put together and gathering our thoughts, <laughs> our discussion thoughts and getting it formalized. So. Okay, short of that, is there any new business? Okay, I am not seeing any hands. I would like to uh, uh, circle back to that, uh, to maybe adding to a future date the tenant screening process. And obviously we need to still follow up on the income discrimination issue. I think, uh, I don't know what that looks like, but maybe a, first a staff review of what Wyandotte, or uh, not Wyandotte County, but what uh, Kansas Missouri did. And if that is you know a workaround that is possible for our community that we at least have confirmed or not confirmed that, uh, to further that discussion. I'd like to add those things, kind of our hit list of uh, future topics. And then I think the other thing that we need to add to our future topics 
are these discussions that we just talked about with the planning commission on what we can we need to have maybe a brainstorming session or something or maybe even invite some private developers into a work group or something to talk about what uh what ideas they have what what fears they have what uh what things might work for them because i think without talking to them we're, we may miss the mark by quite a ways so um i think those are the three future topic things i think we really need to uh move forward so that second topic would include inclusionary zoning and housing and all those kind of things that we talked about with the commission. Other than that, I have no new business. I just want to put those on our on our future list. Anyone else? All right. The next item on the agenda is the calendar. So our next meeting is May 10th. Uh, we have scheduled June 14th and then July 12th. Uh, Jeff, is there anything we need to know about those? Ain't nothing special about those? That... <laughs> Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. Uh, nothing special that I'm aware of, just kind of standard meetings, and we'll look to kind of chart out future topics for those as they come up. Great, great. Um, I'll be back in touch with you and we can talk about when we might introduce these other items and what we need to do to get prepared for that. So um, with that, is there any final comments? If not, we will adjourn. We don't need a vote to adjourn, do we? Or do we? <laughs> Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. I don't believe so. I think we can just adjourn. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Then I'm giving you back seven minutes, believe it or not. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate all the input today. Great meeting. Uh, really great meeting. So thanks. <laughs>